Ladies and gentlemen, and those who identify as both, welcome to an episode of The Red Rum Den, all things horror, true crime, and paranormal. I am your host, Robbie Red Rum. Here's Robbie! Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Red Rum Den. Okay, so I am your host, Robbie Redrum. Here we are. We're back with another episode, episode four. This is insane. I can't believe it's been four episodes already. I love all of you. It's been an amazing journey so far. My team that I have behind me helping me has been nothing but amazing. From Yusuf to Clocky to Christina to everybody who is now going to be a part of the Redrum team officially. I am excited, you guys. I also do want to let you know that this episode is going to be sponsored by 24 Karat Golden Designs. They are everything you need for your candleness, for your shirtness, for everything you do need, you guys. So they make amazing candles. We're actually working on a Red Rum Den candle, so look out for that. I am super stoked for this episode because this is going to be an episode where we're going to get down to the nitty gritty you guys okay what's gonna happen is this case will hopefully light a fire under your ass to do something and everybody asked me are you gonna cover gabby petito are you gonna cover this are you gonna cover that no i'm gonna cover cases like this names that you have not heard of things that need to be brought to attention okay are we all with me on this journey that we are calling life yes all right let's get into it this case ladies and gentlemen is going to be almost a mirror of Gabriel Fernandez. And it's kind of gross. Yet again, DCS and CPS, whatever they want to be called, UPS, they let us down again and again and again from a system that is broken. Ladies and gentlemen, this, and those who identify as both, this is the one, Angelic Rainwalker. Jellic Rainwalker was a 12-year-old boy who had no real chance at life, unfortunately, you guys. And he was never given the chance. Jellic was born to a drug addict and alcoholic mother on a kitchen floor in Albany, New York. He was born with special needs. Jellic was placed into foster care only two days after his birth. So he was born to a drug addict and alcoholic mother. Again, it's a very sad situation. Unfortunately, you know, sometimes addiction does take over. And it's, it's sad, but Jalik was born with special needs and needed to be taken care of in a special way. So two days after, he was put into foster care, which we'll find out was the ball was dropped so many times, you guys. The first seven years of Jalik's life, he was placed in six different foster homes. Jalik had some developmental delays and some behavioral issues, which, ladies and gentlemen, comes with being special needs processing of things that everything it's it's different it takes time it's it takes a very special person to work with them okay and i don't even want to say them they're still people they're not different than you or i they just function differently okay and i said they again but you know what i'm saying so he needed to go into a therapeutic home you guys a therapeutic home is should be where caregivers are trained specifically in what needs to be done to take care of that child. They can't go into a regular foster home with the parents that don't know what they're doing. They need to be in a foster home where 
things are taken care of, the right training, everything is going along, okay? Jalik's sixth foster home, he was able to remain there for four years, from 1998 to 2002, okay? So he was able to stay with one family for four years. This family started the process of adoption, but after an incident in the home, they changed their minds, and he was placed into another foster home. I couldn't find what that incident was. Obviously, it was a big enough incident for them not to want adopt him but again is a special case a special child with special needs who needs help okay so i'm kind of happy they didn't adopt him and like you know wasn't able to do it everyone who cared for jalik said that he was a handful jalik had attachment disorders which was a root of his anger and confusion and he did have temper tantrum i mean i see a lot of adults nowadays online on the social medias because we have cameras everywhere they be throwing temper tantrums too and nobody does anything about it so i mean it shouldn't be that big deal of a kid having a temper tantrum when we see grown-ass adults out there throwing temper tantrums in supermarkets and shit like that but i'll continue with all that aside they said he was a sweet and likable kid and had a beaming smile there we go no matter what he was going through and stuff like that. He had a wonderful smile. He was still sweet, st still kind. This is the part where it shows, guys. He had special needs. His temper tantrums and his anger are misplaced because he cannot place them, okay? He can't place them. So what do you expect? He doesn't know how to place these things. So he needed a family that was equipped to handle him. This is where they fucked up everything, guys. Jalik's seventh foster home would be that of Stephen Kerr and Jocelyn McDonald. All right, so he started with this family in 2002. He was seven years old at the time, you guys. Stephen and Jocelyn had three biological sons and had adopted a daughter already who came through the therapeutic foster system. So they had three kids and they, prior to him, adopted a therapeutic foster child who had needs and needed a therapeutic home, okay? Their children ranged from ages 7 to 14. Interestingly enough, the prior foster home had reservations about him going with Stephen and Jocelyn. So even though he wasn't a good fit for their family, and that is okay because sometimes it's just not a good fit, they still, even though they were giving him away, had reservations about him going with these people. That should have been red flag number one. The Kerr-McDonald family lived in a very rural part of Washington County, New York. They lived, you guys. They lived in a two-room cabin with no running water. To go to the bathroom, they had to go and use an outhouse outside, and all seven people in the home slept in one room. They did, however, have a generator for electricity. Oh my God, thank God. But the only catch is they only ran it for two hours a day. So now you have two therapeutic children. You're living in one bedroom. You'll understand as I go on the disgust that I have in my, not even in myself in this case. And it just makes me want to do something. So they lived a very non-traditional life. No shit, Sherlock. And all the children were homeschooled. Huh. Even fucking better. Here we go. In 2004, the family officially adopted Jalik. At least somebody did, but... Because Jalik and his new sister were disabled through the state of New York, they continue to collect $1,500 a month for each child being in their care, guys. So they are getting $3,000 from the state with combined children. 
what are you fucking doing with that money? Where is this money going? This poor fucking children that need a therapeutic home are living in a two-bedroom cabin. I want you guys to really listen to me. I want everybody to close their eyes with me, okay? Close your eyes and think. If you're driving, don't close your eyes, but just use your imagination, okay? Close your eyes and think. You are in a two-bedroom cabin with seven other people sleeping in the same bedroom as you. You have to go outside to use the bathroom. You only have electricity for two hours a day, and there is no running water. That's fucking terrifying, right? You can open up your eyes now, but that's fucking terrifying, right? I think we all saw that same fucking picture. If that doesn't make your heart hurt, I am sorry. But we are in 20... At that time, there was 2004. But even in 2004, you guys, there's no fucking need to be living in a two-bedroom cabin. And I know this is going to sound so horrible, and I don't even care. If you are that fucking broke, you do not deserve to take on the fucking financial the therapeutic, the mental, the capacity to raise other children that need a stable home, a healthy home, all that shit, okay? You don't deserve that. What so fucking ever? Focus on your three biological kids. Maybe get them out of that situation. Get yourself out of the situation and then help people. Because if you can't fucking help yourself, you can't help nobody else. And that's a real fucking fact on this podcast. So in 2007, Jalik ended up threatening a child in their homeschooling group, okay? So about three years later, I want to say, right? Yeah. The family became very concerned. Jocelyn and Steven were now scared he was going to do something to one of their kids. You notice how he, they didn't care if he did something to his sister, but their own biological kids is the only thing that they feared and fucking cared for? Red flag number two. And three. I'm sorry, two was the money, one was the house, this is number three, with them being scared of him having a fucking tantrum, which they know about, because you adopted a therapeutic fucking foster child, and now you're scared? Why was the money and risk of reward not worth actually helping this fucking poor kid? The family became very concerned, so... We know that part. October 2007, Stephen called the Department of Family Services. He wanted to reverse the adoption and have Jalik removed from his home. Now, this is ridiculous to me. You swore to take care of that child. Now you want to re-put him up for adoption. A counselor who took his call told him that was not possible and they couldn't do that. They did, however, suggest that they utilize respite care. Respite care is set up for caregivers who need a break from the person they are caring for or the person they are caring for needs a break from the, their caretaker as well. So Jalik went into respite care on October 24th for one, you guys, after this incident, okay? The women caring for him had been a prior foster home for Jalik, so he was familiar with her. Okay, they had set up a second week of respite care beginning on November 2nd, which means they would have had to pick up Jalik on November 1st for just one evening and then bring him back. Steven didn't want to bring Jalik home since his family was scared of him. Oh, poor baby. You took on a responsibility and now you're scared. Fuck out of here. So Steve took him to his dad's house in Greenwich at 8 p.m., they were both confirmed to be seen eating at a local Red Robin restaurant, okay? I want you to remember this. At 8 p.m., they were both seen eating at a Red Robin restaurant, so he did pick him up. From this, 
point on from this confirmed sighting, what went down was as per Steve and his account of the situation. I do not believe it is the full account of the situation, and he is lying, and I will get into my lying facts in a moment. But please, ladies and gentlemen, this is his account. I don't believe it for one fucking minute. After they drove back to Stephen's father's house, his dad was out of town. Steve said they both went to bed shortly after they returned home from dinner. How ironic is it that you take your dad's out of town, bring him right to the house for that one night alone? Steven states he woke up at 7.30 a.m. on the morning of November 2nd. He glanced over to see Jalik still in bed, which Steven walked over to the bed when he realized the bed was stuffed with pillows and blankets to make it look like Jalik was sleeping. After that, Steven apparently does what all adopted fathers do when their special needs child is missing. He took a shower and then drove into town and delivered video or returned some videos. This is like the time of Blockbuster and stuff like that. That's normal, right? Your special needs son runs away, so you take a shower and then go into town and deliver your Blockbuster video so you don't get a late fee. He returns back to the house and Jalik isn't there. At 8.57 a.m., Stephen calls the police and reports Jalik missing. Stephen tells the police he believes Jalik ran away since his duffel bag and his favorite stuffed animal were missing. Key point here, you guys. I want you to please remember this as the story goes on. Steve tells police he believes Jalik ran away since his duffel bag and his favorite stuffed animal were missing. Okay? Again, I want you to remember this because it does not add up. He was described to be wearing a bright yellow fleece hoodie. Another key point I need you all to please follow along with. So he goes missing. As per his account, they had dinner. He drove him back to the father's house. They went right to bed for an early morning. He goes and he stuffs the pillows and blankets and make it look like he's sleeping. He disappears and runs away and... Now we're working on going forward from there. He handed in a note to the police, you guys. Okay. And he says this indicates that he ran away. The note read, dear everybody, I'm sorry for everything. I won't bother anymore. Goodbye, Jalik. This should make your blood fucking boil. It was later said that Jalik's respite caregiver stated he wrote the note because in her care, he wanted to apologize to his family for his behavior. She kept insisting it was not about running away. The sad fucking part about all this, you guys, is this poor fucking boy that just wanted to be loved and fucking taken care of so bad that he's living in these horrible fucking conditions, snapped on a kid, and the family's scared of him and wants to get rid of him, but he's trying, and he wrote this note. Dear everybody, I'm so sorry for everything. I won't bother anymore. Goodbye, Jalik. Probably showing this stepdad or foster dad this note, pleading. Just as this case goes on, you're going to understand why I'm so upset. Police quickly began to doubt Stephen's story. The investigation began right away, and they conducted a myriad of interviews and searches hours after his disappearance. The police conducted a search of the home in Greenwich, the last place he was seen. Now, again, remember that note that I told you to remember earlier on? Get ready. The police found his duffel bag and stuffed animal that Stephen said Jalik took with him, tucked in the corner of the garage. By January of 2008, Stephen Kerr was officially a person of interest. They dug into Steve's story a little more and 
pulled his cell phone records. On midnight, the night of November 1st, Stevens' phone pinged a cell phone tower near an industrial part of town near the Hudson River. This was nowhere near the home where he said he had been sleeping at that time. They looked at some surveillance footage, and they do find a similar van that Stephen drives down Main Street near that area where the phone pinged. The footage is so dark and grainy, however, that they cannot confirm whether it was Steve's van or even if it's Steve driving. Of course, after all this comes to light, the public fully believes Stephen had something to do with Jalik's disappearance. Barbara... Jocelyn's mother and Jalik's grandmother does some media interviews and prays for Jalik's safe return. But after a while, she comes forward and says she also believes that Stephen did something to Jalik and that her daughter is helping to cover it up. Barbara even petitioned to the courts to obtain custody of Jalik should he return. But unfortunately, they said no. Shortly after this, you guys, okay, what do you do when your son goes missing? Your special needs son. Do you pack up all your shit and move to a different state and get out of where you live? Because that's what they did. This is a tough one, you guys. Shortly after Stephen and Jocelyn moved out of their cabin, Barbara broke into the home with a flashlight to look for clues of Jalik's whereabouts. It is said what she found put a knot in her stomach, you guys. In the corner of Jalik's room sat a yellow fleece hoodie. The same one that was on the missing person's description. The same one listed on the flyers. The same one that Stephen claimed that he was wearing the night he disappeared. So this means this entire time people are looking for a boy in a yellow fleece hoodie and that's not even what he was fucking wearing. His stuffed animal, his duffel bag was all that. I just, I don't get it. I just don't. I, I really don't get it, you guys. She thought that Jalik had some foul play and that her daughter and son had something to do with it. And of course, because she found out the truth, Barbara was charged with burglary for entering the home, and she did take the sweatshirt to the police and turn it in. Barbara continues to search for her grandson. She said she just wants to hold him again and tell him that she loves him. <sighs> Sorry, guys. She publicly stated her daughter and son-in-law were fostering for the money. They collected 36000 a year for their two special needs children. She also stated that she witnessed Steve dragging Jalik one time to the river and dunk him as a form of punishment. One time she knew he was punished from using the outhouse. How are these people still fucking walking around? The dynamics between Stephen and Jocelyn in the home also seem weird. Barbara said that Stephen was kicked out multiple times for being violent in the home. So... Jalik has a violent moment and it's not okay, but you can fucking have as many violent moments and that's okay. Fucking abuser mentality. Go fuck yourself. Steven had to write an apology letter to Jalik and then had to do Jalik's chores for a week. That's what Jocelyn did to make him come back in the home. So since this whole situation, Barbara tried to contact Jocelyn, letting her know that her grandmother had passed away and Jocelyn had filed charges against her mother, Barbara. Or stalking. So now they have that. There is a boy in Albany, you guys. I do have to bring this up. There's a boy in Albany that resembles Jalik a lot. And he is constantly approached that he now has to carry a law enforcement piece of paper stating that he is not Jalik Rainwalker. So just please be aware of this. This is very interesting, you guys. So Jalik's biological family decided to help out. His mother, now residing in Florida, has been exceptionally helpful to law enforcement. She offered DNA and said she will do whatever she can to help. She has been super cooperative with the police and the resemblance of the Judgment of Solomon story in the Bible, where the real mother is identified because of her compassion for the child. Okay, so no one is quite certain 
But when Jalik adopted their daughter, they changed their last name to Rainwalker. And by surprise, none of these kids were there. But I have a lot of questions. I really do have a lot of questions, you guys. How does somebody get through the system with a two-bedroom cabin, no running water, an outhouse, and electricity for two hours? How do you get a visit and... The fucking person at DFS, uh, CPS, whatever you guys call it where you live, allow somebody to be placed into a home like that. How? I'm going to say this. We need to find out where Stephen Kerr is, where Jocelyn is. We need to have them confess. We need to find more details. I am not going to let this little boy go. Point blank period. I'm not letting this little boy go. And the fact that it's not getting this much attention, is it because it's a little mixed child and it's not a blonde, white, social media light site that her boyfriend killed her and she was killed? And the Gabby Petito situation is very disgusting and it's very upsetting. But to quote Scary Movie and quote Brenda, a little whitey fell down the well again and now it's national news. But mixed and black people go missing every day. And nobody does a goddamn thing. And it's time that we do a goddamn thing. And I'm going to make sure on my podcast, we do a goddamn thing. Because this is fucking disgusting. The fact that they still cannot find his body. The fact that we had the entire world searching for one girl who is of age, an adult that went missing and was murdered by her boyfriend. But two foster parents murder a fucking disabled because at this point, he has to be murdered. I, I, like, I hate to say that, but we need justice. We need justice on this because this is absolutely disgusting. However, I will say this on this podcast. If you have any information relating to Jalik's whereabouts, if you know anything at all, if you've seen him, if you have a late memory, if you are from Albany or, or know anything in upstate New York, please, I ask of you to call the Greenwich Village Police Department at 518 692 Three, three, two. We need to do better. We need to get a fire under our ass and get this story going because there's a lot of details that are missing. The police, they finally reopened it, but we need justice. The way that we can all rally in a month to find, you know, Gabby Petito and deal with all that, we need this for Jalik. He deserves this. This is years. 2004, okay? He was adopted into all this, into this horrible situation. It's now 2021. We need to do something, you guys. And on my podcast, I am fired up. I'm going to do something. And I hope my followers listening to this, you guys are fired up as anything. And we get this story going. We need this story everywhere. We need his name, his face posted everywhere. We need to jog people's memories and take care of Jalik because this is not okay. Point blank, period. This has been a very serious episode. I love every single one of you. I am thankful for every single one of you. I am your host, Robbie Redrum. This is the Redrum Den. You can follow us on all social media platforms at the Redrum Den. I will eventually be diving in and getting more information to post on my Instagram, his face, his everything. So if you are listening, please give our Instagram a follow. We also do have a Facebook page. Guys, we are going to try everything. At least I'm going to try everything. I hope this really, really, really lights a fire under every single one of your asses. And we're able to go from there, okay? This is Robbie Redrum, and I'm signing out.